Hey, good evening, everybody. A very special thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Bob and Deanna Rubin for sponsoring tonight's year. Uh, tonight is sponsored in honor of the yard site of both of their fathers and as a mazel tov to Avraham and Vida on their wedding and in honor and recognition of their dear friend Batya Miriam Hands. So the Neshama should have an aliyah, a mazel tov to Avraham and Vida in honor and recognition of Batya Miriam Hands and we should all share in simchas and continued growth together. Mitzvah By a show of hands, who here cannot wait for the time of redemption? Okay. Who here is yearning for the Geula every single day of their lives? Every, every waking moment. I didn't go that far. <laughs> Most hands went down every waking moment. And then you think about it, which is hard to do, and you can start asking questions. I do enjoy shopping at Costco. They don't have those in Eretz do they? No? They do. <laughs> they have Kirkland brand, okay. It's something that we daven for many, many times throughout the day. It's something that's on our mind, and it has been really on the uh, collective conscious of all Jews throughout all of the centuries living in Gullis, going through the exile. But what I'd like to do this evening is try to delve in to what exactly are we anticipating? What are we yearning for? What are we longing for? What am I looking forward to? What does it mean to yearn for the Geula to anticipate redemption? And we know that this is one of the big questions on the test. When we get upstairs, Sakarash Baruch will ask us, Kavata'itim Latara. The first question is actually, did you deal honestly in business? In your interactions with others, we've spoken about that in the past. And then, Kavata Itim Latora, that you set time for learning. And then, Sapisa Yeshua, did you yearn for the Yeshua, for the salvation, for the redemption? Did you delve into wisdom? Did you try to strain your brain to understand, Dover Mitoch Dover? meaning to say that I was not complacent with a superficial or external view on life, or Torah, or myself, but I kept on delving deeper and deeper as much as I possibly could. The phrase is, Ad sheyodu magas, until my hand could reach. Those are some of the questions we will have to respond to when we meet our Creator. Yearning for Mashiach, looking forward to redemption, doesn't really sound like it should be there amongst these massive questions. What does that have to do with my overall accomplishments in life as a human being, as an Ebed Hashem? If life was miserable and I was suffering to the point where I couldn't really take my present reality 
or even if I was tuned in enough where Olam Hazeh was treating me okay. But I understood that living in Yerushalayim, that experience with Hashem and Mashiach Tzidkenu, that would be so much better. I really wanted that. Why does that define or determine who you are forever? Being Kovei Itim Torah, making learning a priority, never living superficially, dealing honestly with others, being ehrlich and open and vulnerable, those are all big things in life. Those define you. So, Pisa Yoshua, did you want Mashiach? Why is that such a big thing? The Rambam says in Hilchus Malachim that anyone who does not believe in the coming of the Mashiach in the times of redemption, or one who doesn't yearn, who doesn't long for the coming of Mashiach, not only are you denying all of the prophets, but you're totally saying to the Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu, what you're teaching me is false and I'm rejecting it. You're a kofer. You're a heretic. So what line is troubling about this Rambam? To tell us, if you don't believe in the Geula, you're a kofer, that makes a lot of sense. Because the Torah, and even more so all throughout the Nevi'im and Ksuvim, we have clear allusions and predictions to Mashiach. So if I deny Mashiach, that means I'm denying the veracity of the Torah. You're a kofer. I got that. But to add a line, O Misha'enu Machaka Lebiyoso, it sounds like he's saying, I believe 100%. The Torah said so, Ad Shiyovo Shiloh, when we have all throughout Nevi'im and Ksuvim. Of course I believe in Mashiach. I'm just not wishing he was here tomorrow. Baruch Hashem, things are okay. We're managing. Life is rough. But I have nachas from the children, and I'm doing some nice things. Okay, I wasn't yearning for Mashiach. That says the Rambam, although you believe in the reality of redemption, the fact that you're not looking forward to redemption means you're a heretic. Where does that come from? Why does that define me as a kofer? And we know famously in the Yod Gimel Ikrim, the 13 principles of faith, the Rambam tells us, remind me one of these days I have an amazing mnemonic for how to remember each one of the Yod Gimel Ikrim. I learned this when I was probably 13 years old. We were on a Shabbaton, a skiing Shabbaton, and the rabbi got up and he said, instead of a Devar Torah, I want to teach you a mnemonic, how to remember all 13 principles of faith. And at the time, I thought they were silly and confusing and didn't make any sense, but now many, many years later, I still have it clear as day based on those silly mnemonic devices. Remind me. Anyway, number 12 of the Yilgim Ikrim is Yemos HaMashiach. One of the foundations of our faith is that we believe in the times of Mashiach. V'hu l'hamenu that I believe and I make true that Mashiach will come. And the famous line that even though he seems to tarry, it's taking so long, thousands of years, 
But I still believe with conviction. So it's not just a belief, it's not just something that is alluded to in the Torah and the Nevim and the Ksuvim. I have to know it's true, I have to want Geula, and this is one of the 13 most fundamental principles of our faith. How did it get on the list of 13? Right, if we had a committee, all of us together were, were sitting down, and we were going to determine what should make the top 13 most <coughs> basic ideas and philosophies in Judaism. So I think many of them we would be mechaving to, we would think of speaking about the reality of Hashem and the achdus, the unity of Hashem. But why Mashiach? Why is that so basic? Let's say a person didn't believe that Mashiach would come. There's not going to be a time of Geula. There's not going to be a new period of redemption. But I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I believe in Hashem. I believe in the Torah. I'm doing the mitzvot. I'm treating people with love. And I'm generous. And I'm caring. So why is that such a big deal? What am I lacking? <coughs> this is a question that was raised by the Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer, this is the very last tshuva in Chelek Yeridea, Simon Shin Nun Vav. Let's read a few lines together. He says, we know there is a famous debate between the Rambam and then later on the Sefer HaIkrim. Rav Yosef Albo basically was of the opinion, you don't have to divide our principles of faith into 13 Ikarim, rather there's just three main ones. We don't need 13. So the Chassam Sofer says, it doesn't really make a difference, it's somewhat academic. But according to the Kabbalistic masters, there's no way to say we have three, or we have 13, or we have 26 foundations of Torah. Everything is an Iker, everything is essential. What's the difference? Truth is truth. You can't have something that's more true than something else. It's all Emes, it's all Hashem, it's all the revelation. But then he goes on to ask a question on the formulation of the Rambam. He says, I don't get it. I will not believe that our eventual redemption should be one of the 13 principles of faith. What does it mean to be one of the foundations of faith? It means that everything we believe, everything we stand for, our entire ideology is predicated upon this foundation. And if one of these pillars of the foundation was missing, then the entire structure, the entire edifice would crumble. Says the Chassam Sofer, why would it crumble if I don't believe in Mashiach? He says, let's say theoretically, we were all a bunch of sinners, and the Jewish people go into this deep, dark period of living in denial and rejection of the Torah, and because of that, there is a gerush olam, which means Hashem says, you know what, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. All of those promises, everything I said about Geula, it's not going to happen. You no longer deserve it. That's a scary reality. But let's say that would take place. So what does that mean for me? 
Right? Can you imagine that? We all have this massive revelation that because of our chatayim, because of our sins, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, I'm not going to bring Mashiach, the world will never have a geula. Eventually you're going to destroy yourselves based on climate change, and you're all going to die a horrible death. Hatzlacha. What will we do then? Option number one, okay, forget this. Option number two, what time is Mincha? Is it option number one or option number two? Says the Chassam Sofer, who cares about Mashiach? Obviously it's something we'd like to have. We could sing songs about it. We could talk about every mitzvah is building another brick in the base of Migdash. That's cute. That's nice. But who cares? Let's say it would never happen. Chas v'shalom. Would we do anything different? Would my amunah and bitachon and shmiras ha-mitzvos, would my faith and my commitment to the mitzvos change even a little bit? Of course not. We have a mission. We're placed here for a limited time in this finite universe. The neshama lives forever, that we know. So in the meantime, when we're here, we're going to do everything we're commanded to do. Why is that one of the esodos? Why is that so fundamental? That's the question of the chassam sofer. Interesting question, no? This brings us to Parshas Bo. In Parshas Bo, we know the plague of Choshech, of darkness. The Medish Rabbah tells us in source number five that it was during this particular Makkah that the Jews who did not have the proper faith or the proper desire to leave, they ended up dying during Makkah's Choshech. L'fisha hayu poshim Yisrael, there were sinners amongst the Jews, Things were good. They had, uh, they had their, their whole, you know, uh, financial things worked out, and they had their chevra, and they had connections. They had an in with the government, and para was on their good side. They were influential. They had no need to leave Mitzrayim. And these were the people who ended up dying in the plague of darkness. Okay, so that we've heard before. The Rush, in his commentary on the Torah, though, has an amazing question. If it's really true that in the plague of darkness, all of the evil Jews died, so then how do we explain two people, two individuals that we find over and over again, constantly making trouble? Namely, Dasan Vaviram. Dasan Vaviram, they were not good guys even back in Egypt. And we have many sources that, that tell us that clearly. So the rush is bothered by the question, Yesh Lishol, kol During the three days of darkness, all of the evil Jews died. But Dasan Vaviram lo mesu. They were totally evil. They were speaking Lashon Hora and doing terrible things. How did they somehow survive? So the rush answers, Yesh Lomar, 
It's true they were very deprived, evil, immoral people. However, they did not despair from the redemption. They didn't give hope. They had this desire, they had this burning desire, this longing to be freed from Egypt. And that was their schos, that was their ticket out. So all the other evil people died, but they were able to somehow be saved because they wanted to leave so badly they didn't give up hope. So what is the rush actually saying? Just to analyze this for a moment carefully. Is he saying that everybody else was so completely evil they didn't have anything good going for them? They didn't have any mitzvahs whatsoever. They were just Rishoyim Gemurim. And Dasim Vavirim, they were also very, very bad, but they weren't 100% bad because they also had one mitzvah. There's no way that's what the man means. Every single human being, I guarantee you, even amongst those who were viewed or categorized as Rishayim, the evil ones of Klal Yisrael, they all had many mitzvot as well. And the Chazal that we just read, it explained that they had this thing, they had a hang-up, they had a connection to the land of Mitzrayim, they didn't want to leave, and therefore they were not Zoha, they were not able to leave. But I'm sure they also had mitzvot. It sounds like what the Rush is telling us is that there was something unique about this particular mitzvah. The fact was, they, Dasan Vavirim, did not give up hope, and it was that mila, it was that quality that allowed them to be saved, that gave them that ticket to redemption. There was something unique about that desire for Gula. But what was unique about it? And why is that even something that's praiseworthy? Maybe their life was somewhat miserable. Likely it was. So the fact that you have two people that want to get out of a bad situation because we're under the oppression of this uh, evil empire, because you want to leave, oh, that's a beautiful mitzvah. That's going to be your schus. That needs explanation as well. Not only do we find that Dustin and Avirim were looking forward or not giving up hope for redemption, and not only do we see from the Rambam that it's one of the foundations of our Muna and it's something we need to be looking forward to and anticipating, it's not just Kalal Yisrael, not the Jewish people that need to feel this way, it's even Hashem. Now, obviously, whenever we speak, in regards to the emotions of the infinite creator of the universe, everything needs to be understood in a mushal. It's all allegorical. However, Rashi says an amazing thing. When it says that Pesach is defined as Lel Shimurim Hula Hashem, it's literally a night that was guarded for Hashem. Lehotziyah Me'eretz Mitzrayim, it says this word twice, Shimurim. First is Shimurim Hula Hashem. It's a night that's guarded for Hashem. And then Shimurim Lechol B'nai Yisrael. It was guarded for all of the Jewish people. The second word we're more familiar with. Shimurim Lechol B'nai Yisrael is teaching us there's some kind of protection. There's more Shmira that we have on this particular night than any other night of the year. But what is the first 
Shimurim Hula Hashem mean? Says Rashi, what is Shomer? Shomer usually means to guard. Are you Shomer Shabbos? Do you guard the Shabbos? Do you keep the Shabbos? But Shomer could mean something else as well. Shomer could also mean anticipation, looking forward to. And that's the context of the Pusik. Lel shimurim hula Hashem, Rashi says, Shahaya HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shomer He was guarding this date. He was looking forward. The question that we're going to be asked is, Tzapisa Yoshua, did you yearn for redemption? HaKadosh Baruch Hu was yearning for redemption. He was looking forward to this time, the 15th of Nisan. For what reason? To fulfill His promise. He made a promise that I will take you out of Egypt. And therefore Hashem was, so to speak, looking forward, chomping at the bit. I can't wait to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim because then my promise is fulfilled. How many promises does Hashem make to the Jewish people over the centuries? There are many promises. How often do we find this expression of Hashem looking forward to do something because this will be the fulfillment of the Haftacha? It sounds like it's unique. Something about freeing the Jewish people from Mitzrayim, there has to be more than just the fact that Hashem would be fulfilling His promise, but there is something that Hashem was looking forward to. He couldn't wait, so to speak to be able to take us out of the Kor HaBarzel, to take us out of Mitzrayim. Why was Hashem looking forward so much to this day? The word Shmira, like we mentioned, means to guard, but it also means to look forward to. We find this in regards to Yaakov. When he hears about the dreams of Yosef, it says, bo echav, that his brothers were jealous of him. shamar es hadavar, but his father guarded the matter. So simply understood that means he kept it in mind. He was aware of the dynamic and he understood it was somewhat uh, fragile. Says Rashi, no, aviv shamar es hadavar means hayemamtin umitzapa masayavo. Yaakov knew that those dreams had prophecy in it, and therefore he wasn't just guarding it in his mind, but he was mamten umetzapa. He was yearning and looking forward to, he was longing for the fruition of those dreams. The Pasuk in Yeshaya says, Pischu This is a reference to the times of the future. Open up your gates, v'yovo goy tzadik, shomer emunim, and allow the righteous nation to come in, what makes us righteous? Shomer emunim, that we keep your faith. There Rashi also explains, Shomer emunim is, Shishamar v'tsofa. We were always yearning and looking forward to your salvation in those dark times of Gullus. We're a goy tzaddik, we're a righteous nation, because we were always wanting to reconnect with you. And the last beautiful example of the word shmira, guarding, which could also mean anticipation, is when it comes to Shabbos. Says the Orachayim, 
v'shomru v'nei Yisrael, the Jewish people kept or they guarded the Shabbos. According to everything that we've established until this point, v'shomru v'nei Yisrael means that we anticipate the Shabbos. We're machakelo. We can't wait for the Shabbos. We don't view it as a time just to chill out or we have 25 hours of restrictions the way the Orachim says it is. It's not Kedavar Torah Litzad Menias Melechis Haratzon. Shabbos is not here just to make your life more constricted. Rather, it's supposed to be a proactive experience. Shomru B'nai Yisrael as a Shabbos Lasos. We're looking forward to the Shabbos to actually do it, to do the Shabbos. That's Shmira. Shmira is looking forward. And we look forward to the Geula. And that's the Pasuk we say in Tehillim. Oftentimes we say it in Shul when we're davening for somebody. This is chapter Kuflamid Nafshi Lashem Mi Shomrim Laboker. Shomrim Laboker. My soul is to Hashem more than those people guarding the morning who guard the morning. So the double expression is interesting. Why does it say, Shomrim Laboker, Shomrim Laboker? And what does that mean to guard the morning? So Rashi again fills us in. We're not talking about guarding anything. But Mitzapim Hagaula means that we're yearning for the morning. Right now it's pitch black, but we know the morning will come, and we keep on looking forward and dreaming about Alos HaShachar, Ayelis HaShachar, when the first rays of the sun come off behind the horizon. That's the Geula. Shomrim Laboker, Shomrim Laboker, we're yearning for the day, meaning to say we're, le- we're yearning for Geula. <coughs> so do we actually yearn for Geula? The, uh, one of the early masters of Hasidus, Rav Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl, he was really the, the grandfather of the Torsky dynasty. He was one of the disciples of the Baal Shem Tov, and then later the great Magad of He was traveling and he was staying at someone's house overnight. It was uh, some random village somewhere. So the husband and wife who, uh, who had a room for him, they were Amaratsim, they were somewhat ignorant, but they were good, holy, devout Jews. So Chatzos Halayla comes, this is the middle of the night, and the Malabayas, right, the owner of the house living in this village, he hears there's crying and there's moaning coming from the living room. So he's very nervous, what's going on? He walks in, and he sees the great Rebbe sitting on the floor, and he's crying. He's like, Rebbe, Rebbe, what's the matter? Are you okay? Can can I help you with something? And the Rebbe says back, Oh, no, I'm sorry if I woke you up. I'm I'm just doing tikkun chatzos. Tikkun chatzos, I don't like to share this with the masses, but only righteous people do tikkun chatzos. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you mourn over the loss of Jerusalem. So he was explaining that I'm, I'm mourning over the loss of Jerusalem. And it didn't really seem to answer the question that the, uh, the guy had. He was still looking at him bewildered. 
So the Rebbe asked him the question, let me ask you, do you also mourn Yerushalayim? Do you look forward to Mashiach? Of course, oh, Mashiach. Look forward to Mashiach every day. Chol Yom Shayovo. Okay, let's say I told you he was actually coming. Mamish tonight. Would you be ready to, to pack your bags and go? You come with me to Yerushalayim to, to greet Mashiach. So he said, like any good husband, let me consult my wife. <laughs> so he quickly has a conversation with his wife, thinking that maybe the Rebbe knows something that we don't know. And he comes back, quoting, uh, quoting his wife. See, the problem is like this. We have ten chickens, and we also have a few geese. And there's no way we're going to get them to Eretz Yisrael. They would die in the long boat right there. So for us to actually go to Yerushalayim is probably not going to be realistic. But we still want Mashiach to come. So the Rebbe said back, but let's say you stay here and Mashiach does come. Who knows what could happen? Maybe tomorrow you'll have bandits that come in and they kill all of your chicken and your geese. What are you going to do then? Good question. Honey, what should we answer the Rebbe? Comes back. Again, quoting his wife, verbatim. So maybe the Rebbe Kedavin, that Mashiach will come, and when he comes, he'll take all the bad guys with him to Yerushalayim. Okay. Now I think it's a cute story. Did it actually happen? We have no clue. But how many of us share that mindset of, of the villagers? It's hard to leave things behind. It's hard to look forward to something that we don't really understand. Shomrim leboker, shomrim leboker. It says it twice. Rashi explains because in the process of redemption, hamevi goel livnei v'nehem, as a Kaddish Baruch orchestrates reality to bring us closer to that next period of time, there are going to be flashes of light along the way where we all experience something, Right, we all go through something and we feel Mashiach's around the corner. We're this close. But then darkness again. Shomrim Leboker, Shomrim Leboker. The Rebbeinu Bachaya, also elaborating on this Pasuk in Tehillim, he says, the very first Gullus, meaning to say when the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, that was a remez, everything we find with that particular exile, is somehow alluding to the exile in the future, the one that we're presently in. Anu mitzapin liyeshua Hashem Yisbarach writes the Rebbeinu Bachaya, we all are looking forward to Hashem's salvation. Like David HaMelech writes, nafshi l'Hashem mishomrim leboker, shomrim leboker, meaning that we'll see glimpses of light along the way, but then back to darkness. And this is what happened in Mitzrayim. Moshe comes. At first, there is some level of a transition period to accept him as their manhig, as their leader. But then there is an excitement that was building up. And then Paro destroys all of the excitement when he says, leave me alone, I don't know your God, you have to make your own bricks. And then there is devastation. And then according to Midrashim, Moshe and Aaron disappear. And then what are the rest of the Jewish people thinking for three or six months? And then they come back again. 
says the Rabbeinu B'chaya in somewhat of a prophetic statement, this is going to be the process of our own redemption as well. Right? In the Geula Asida, his oror hasina ben ha'akom, the hatred amongst the non-Jewish world will be awakened for the Jews. Ve'yosifu shibud al shibudam, and there will be more suffering along the way. He's writing this about 700 years ago. Ve'yihagoel nigla ve'chozer v'nichsa, and the Redeemer will be there, but then chozer v'nichsa, then he'll disappear again. 1945 will come and World War II will be over and you'll have this sense of how could that have not have been Gog and Magog and Mashiach's around the corner. 1948 will come and we'll have this miracle upon miracles, the fulfillment of Psukim in, in, in all throughout Tanakh, the returning of the Jewish people to the land of Eretz Yisrael, that has to be ushering Mashiach right here, right now. But then we have darkness. And then we have 1967. And the euphoria. And that sense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was with us. And that belief and anticipation that Mashiach is right here. This must be Geula. After going through the miracles of the Six Day War. And then darkness again. And you look all throughout our modern history. 1991 with the Scud missiles flying in from Iraq. Miracle upon miracle. Maybe this is it. And then 2001 with the Twin Towers. The world is coming to an end. We're all going to Yerushalayim. And we find ourselves, history is marching forward. Nigla v'nichse. That's what happened in Mitzrayim. And writes there, Ben Abachaya, this will be the process of our redemption as we get closer to the time of Geula. Why do we really want Mashiach? What did that villager, him and his wife, not have clear that the Rebbe had a little bit more clear? We don't want Mashiach because we're suffering. Of course we don't want to suffer. We don't yearn for Mashiach because there are so many evil people in the world and there's so much illness. These are all reasons why we would love to have that zman, that time, as soon as possible. But what's the real reason we really want Mashiach? Why do we have any anticipation or yearning for Mashiach? It comes down to one thing and one thing only. I want to be close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I want to be closer to Hashem. Everything we do in life ultimately is to develop more of that kurva, more of that intimate relationship with the infinite creator of the universe. And I know that until that time of light and radiance is upon us, there are too many things holding us back. It's not because I want to eat from the fruits of Eretz Yisrael. That's a nice bonus. It's not because I could uh, relax now and we have a base of Migdash and miracles. Those are all cute things. The main reason we want Mashiach, writes the Rambam in two places, is because we want to have the opportunity to come closer to Hashem without all of the limitations we presently struggle with. Mashiach is not an end unto itself. Mashiach is a means to the ultimate end, which is our relationship with Hashem. I remember reading, this is a... 
a story of a girl. She herself was writing this. She was in her 60s at the time. And she said that I and my brother were given away to non-Jewish neighbors during World War II. Righteous Gentiles, these people were Moser Nefesh, risking their lives to keep us in their possession for more than four years. And, which was not common, they totally respected the fact that we were Jewish. They had no agenda of trying to convert us or brainwash us. They wanted us to keep our identity. And their hope was that maybe one day we would find a family member and at least have some connection to the overall mishpacha. This person writes, even though I was a little girl at the time, she was seven or eight years old, she says, I knew, I don't know how I knew, but I knew my father would make it out alive, and I wasn't sure about my mother. But there was some kind of connection I had with my father that I just knew deep down he would come and get me. And it didn't make any sense because the family that I was given to at first ended up moving to a different village, a different place, and by the time the war was over, there was no way they could track us down. But I knew the whole time my father would find me. Miraculously, her mother did not survive the war, but her father did. He ended up finding his daughter she was a young teenager when they reunited. And she said, when I first saw my father, I didn't recognize him because he was a skeleton of a human being. But I saw the love in his eyes and immediately it clicked. She said, I've been waiting for you. And I always know, I've always known that you would find me. When I read that, That's the answer to all of our questions. Right? How, why, is, why is Tzapisa Yeshua so fundamental? How could the Rambam say that if you're not looking forward and anticipating Mashiach and Geula, redemption, you're a kofer? Why am I a heretic? What am I denying? How is that part of the amuna, part of the, the belief that we have to have? That's one of the 13 principles of faith. That was the schus of Dasan Vaviram because they just wanted to get out of there? Why was Hashem looking forward to this promise more than any other promise He made throughout history? The answer is, and Rav Shimshon Pincus has a beautiful essay in this, the belief and the yearning in Mashiach or the times of redemption has nothing to do with the future whatsoever. It's not about the fact that there will be a time of Geula. Of course, we believe that's true. But the reason why that belief is so incredibly crucial is not for what that means in the future, it's for what that means right here in the present. In the beautiful, poetic words of Rabbi Shimshon Pinkus, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, he says, Inyan Amunas HaMashiach Eino Nikras Ikre Mikoach it's not one of the 13 principles of faith because of the future. But it's based on our understanding, our recognition of the present. This is Judaism. 
If you were to ask somebody, what's the definition of Judaism? Is the answer doing mitzvahs? Is the answer learning Torah? Is the answer doing chesed? No, that's not the definition of Judaism. These are all things that come along with Torah. But what is the definition of Yadus? Explains Rabbi Shimshon Pinkus. Mahus Yadus he Krisas Bris Ava. It's a covenant of love. Shikaras Hakadosh Baruch Hu Im Yisrael that Hashem created that bond with Klal Yisrael. That is Judaism. It's a covenant of love eternal love between the Jewish people and the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And therefore, if theoretically, right, what the Chassam Sofer was bringing up, if theoretically Hashem would say, because of your sins, because of your mistakes, because of your lack of loyalty, I'm not going to bring a time of Geula, I'm not going to allow myself to reconnect to you. So that would be a destruction of the foundation of our entire perception of Judaism. Because Judaism is not about the mitzvos. Of course we would keep on doing the mitzvos, even if there was no such thing as Mashiach. Hashem gave us the Torah, He gave us commandments. But that's not what Yadus is all about. Judaism is a relationship. The belief in Mashiach is really being mechazek, strengthening our, our recognition of what this bris shel ava, what this covenant of love actually is. Why was Hashem looking forward to fulfilling this promise? Because it was this promise, just like a father and a child. It's not just I have to keep my word, but I'm looking forward to the reunion. I was looking forward to the reunion when I took you out of Egypt, and I'm looking forward to that reunion for the Geula Asida for that future redemption. That's why we need to yearn for Mashiach. That's why it's one of the most fundamental questions. Sapisa Yeshua really means, did you want to come closer to Hashem? If the answer is yes, that's an unbelievable accomplishment. Time is running late here, but just to close... When do we daven? When do we daven for Geula? Not just on a national level, but Reb Dessler and others tell us that there's something within each one of us where when we're lacking that sense of yearning and desire to reconnect with Hashem, that means we are in Gullus. We're in a personal exile. When do we daven to Hashem to help us to, to release us from our personal exile, to be able to feel that longing and that love for the Creator of the universe. Now these are lofty levels. Right? These are levels that probably most of us have not yet attained. But we have to have the, the picture of what to strive for. So every Friday night in Lachadodi, we can have this in mind, once a week at least. We say, He's nari me'afar kumi, livshi bigdei sifartech ami, to take away, to get out of the dust, to get out of the, uh, the dirt, and to have clothing of splendor. Al Yad ben Ishai beis halachmi, through Mashiach, karva el nafshi ga'ala. Karva el nafshi ga'ala means 
please bring my neshama closer and redeem it from its present state of my personal exile. Free me from my own exile, of my numbness and my lack of sensitivity to not having that, that sipui, not having that yearning, not having that longing. I want to feel that love. Please free me from that personal numbness. The Kleisenberger Rebbe used to say during his entire experience in World War II, he would say by memory the words of the Chavos Halavavos. The Chavos Halavavos writes in the beginning of Shar Abbas Hashem, he says there was a story of a particularly righteous man, of a chassid. And this chassid would get up in the night and he would say, Elokai, my God, Hereftani, you've made me hungry. And sometimes you've even let, left me without clothing, without sufficient shelter. And you've, you've made me dwell in the darkness of night, living in confusion. But through all of this, I've always felt your strength and your splendor. Even if you would let me burn in fire, lo osif ki im ava v'simcha bach, I'm not going to stop loving and rejoicing within you. Klaus and Rebbe would say that to himself every day, as he was going through the fires of Gehenna. Right, this is a, a level that's so so lofty and so beyond us; it's hard to relate to. But this is the love that we're trying to feel. This is the love that, that is the motivation for Tzapisel Yeshua. I want Geula because I want to have that, that feeling, that relationship back with Hashem, and I daven for that. We daven for the Geula on a national level, and we daven for the Geula on a personal level. And sometimes, cholas avani, sometimes we're sick. We're sick and we can't even feel the love, but we know what's there. It's our bracha, it's our tefillah, that we should be zocha very soon to see tremendous nisim v'niflos and have a national geula shalema. And at the same time, throughout the entire process, to daven for our individual geula, to free us from the, uh, the shackles and the layers of numbness, to feel the love and to come closer to the Kaddish Baruch Hu.